Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to River Glen. Great to be together with you. Welcome, everybody, here in Waukesha. River Glen's one church in multiple locations. And uh, so would you join me? And let's give a big welcome to our River Glen family in Pewaukee and online. <laughs> Love doing this together with all of you. Yeah. Um, hey, in just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to take out a little diagram. You might want to go ahead and do that now. We put a little diagram, a funnel diagram in the message notes in your uh, program. If you want to uh, go ahead, you can uh, take that out. And before I get started, before we get into all that, I want to let you know in two weeks, we have a, uh, a special, very special guest speaker by the name of Ray McElroy. Ray played six seasons as a cornerback in the NFL for the Indianapolis Colts, Chicago Bears, and Detroit Lions. And then he served as the chaplain for the Chicago Bears. He currently serves on staff at a church in Beloit as a teaching pastor. Now, I know he didn't play for the Packers, okay? I mean, he's not perfect, all right? <laughs> but I'm telling you, Ray is a dynamic uh, speaker, a powerful preacher. Take a look. In this life, in order to be who God has called us to be, it's going to take us stepping out on the unknown. feeds our doubt, while faith feeds our belief. You ever been in a space where nobody you turn to could help you? I wonder if you listened and heard about what Jesus had to say about your situation. Are you going to believe him, or are you going to believe what your girlfriend says? Are you going to believe him, or are you going to believe what the doctor says? I'd be a whole lot more interested in what Jesus got to say about your situation at the bottom line into the day. Church, we got to believe the report of the Lord. Yeah. yeah, we are really excited to have uh, Ray coming here in two weeks, so don't miss it. And uh, if, if only he was a little more enthusiastic, all right? But uh, he's going to bring it. And I uh, want you to be here. Hope you'll be here. It'll be a great weekend to bring a guest uh, with you to uh, River Glen. Well, today we continue part three of the series called Dark Room, just like film has to go through this dark room chemical process to develop it into a picture. God sometimes uses dark rooms to uh, strip away some things in our life, to add to our character, to prepare us to use us in ways far greater than we ever imagined. Uh, but maybe some of you feel like you're in a dark room right now. You feel stuck in some area of your life, you know, time's wasting, you don't really feel like uh, anything's uh, happening. Maybe you feel stuck in a loveless marriage. Uh, maybe you feel stuck in a dead-end job. You just can't seem to get your business, your career off the ground. Maybe you really hoped a business deal would go through, but it didn't, and now you don't know what to do. Or maybe you feel bored in high school, college. Maybe you're out of college and you can't find a job. All of us at every age and stage in life, we go through dark rooms. We began two weeks ago looking at how God used the dark room to develop a great character named Joseph in the Old Testament. And then last weekend, Garrett gave a great message on how God used the dark room to develop David into a great leader, a great uh, king. If you missed either of those messages, you can go to our website and watch them. Now today, uh, we're going to talk about two characters. Yeah, two individuals. And they both actually, they came out of their dark rooms. They actually helped each other out. And so I think today's message is going to be very encouraging to you, especially if you're in a dark room or the next time that you're in one, because we're going to talk about one of the, one of the best ways to go through 
and come out of a, of a dark room because sometimes in the dark room, God has action steps that he wants us to take. And that's why I brought along this uh, baton to represent what both of these characters did to come out of the dark room. This comes from uh, running. It's a running uh, baton. My son Ryan loves running. He ran cross country and, high, and, uh, and track in high school. I don't really know much about running, but I went to a lot of track meets. And I learned I really enjoyed watching the relay races where they would pass the baton. Very often, this is where the race is won or lost. They, they put in a lot of practice and teamwork to learn to pass the baton. Runners practice this aspect of competition more than any other because when you pass the baton smoothly, you can gain a step because one person is reaching forward with it and the other person is reaching back to receive it. But when I talk about passing or taking the baton, I'm not talking about running. I'm talking about serving other people, pouring in to other people, encouraging and mentoring other, other people to, to follow Jesus and make a bigger impact uh, with your life. I came across this quote I really like. Leadership's more like a baton than a trophy. You keep a trophy, but you hand off a baton. And following Jesus is the same way and carrying out his, his, his mission. Following Jesus is, is more like a baton that you pass than a, than a trophy that you uh, keep. So to get us thinking in the same direction... I want to take a moment and uh, ask you to take out that funnel diagram on your message notes. And I want you to go ahead, write your name on this line right here. And then above your name, toward the top of the funnel, I want you to write down some names of people in your life that poured into you, invested in you, believed in you, passed the baton uh, to you. Uh, go ahead and write those, write, write a few names. And uh, as you're writing those names down, I'm going to tell you about one of the names toward the top of my funnel. About 23 years ago, when River Glen started, uh, this was a new role uh, for me. I'd never been a lead pastor before. And the church did well, but it felt like a very heavy responsibility. I felt completely overwhelmed at times. But God brought a guy named Rick Parker into my life through the church. And Rick had more leadership experience and a more mature faith than I did. And for 15 years until he moved away, Rick poured into me and helped me to learn and grow. I came across a definition of a mentor that made me think of him. A mentor is someone whose hindsight can be your foresight. And Rick's mentoring and friendship and wisdom really helped me to go through some dark rooms in, in my life. And that's what happens in our story today. A more experienced guy hands the baton to a less experienced guy. And, and, and here's what's really amazing to me. Uh, passing the baton and, and receiving the baton, it actually helps both of them to get out of their dark rooms. The story begins with a great prophet of God by the name of Elijah. Elijah is like a rock star prophet who performed many miracles. One time he raised a young boy who was dead back to life. Another time, through prayer, he caused a famine for like three years to get the attention of the king and the queen and to help turn the country of Israel, nation of Israel, back toward God. Elijah was a powerful prophet, but Elijah ends up in a dark room because of the queen of, of Israel by the name of Jezebel. Jezebel was just a terrible uh, queen, terrible queen. That's why you never hear the name Jezebel. I mean, nobody names their kid Jezebel because she was just terrible. You're never at Target and they come over to the speaker and say, hey, Jezebel, you know, we need you over in aisle three. Um, nobody does that. 
It's, it's a long name. It's hard to spell. And she was just awful. And I don't mean awful like a, a hot dog at the gas station that's on that roller, you know, all day. I mean awful like Osama bin Laden. Awful like Hitler. Jezebel killed innocent people who refused to bow down to her false gods. And she hates Elijah. She actually takes out a contract to have him killed. And Elijah finds out. Look at how he responds. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. And here's the dark room. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Elijah runs and he hides in a cave and he begs God to take his, his life. Elijah enters a dark room. And maybe some of you can relate. You know, you know what it's like to be in a cave of depression or anxiety or even, even having suicidal thoughts. And if that's where you're at today and you need some help, you be sure to let us know. We also keep a list of professional counselors in the Welcome Center. And if, if you'd like one of those, stop by and pick that up. But that's where Elijah is. But God shows patience and tenderness to Elijah. God gives him food and rest. God reveals more of his power to give Elijah confidence that he's going to defeat Jezebel. But I want you to notice something fascinating that God says to Elijah to help him to get out of the dark room. God gives Elijah a new assignment. God gives Elijah a baton to pass on to another person. God says, anoint uh, Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Now, I, I know it's going to be a little confusing because their names are very similar. There's Elijah, but then there's also Elisha, and I'll probably confuse their names uh, before I'm done uh, uh, today. But Elijah is the experienced prophet. Elisha is the future prophet. And God says, Elijah, I want you to develop a friendship with Elisha. Pour into him. Teach him. Mentor him. Believe in him. Encourage him. Which, which seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because when you're in a dark room like Elijah, there's a tendency, there's a temptation to focus on, on yourself and to focus on your own situation. But sometimes in a dark room, you don't need pity. You need a new goal, a new friendship, a new challenge. And that's why God sends Elijah to pour into Elisha. Because one of the best ways to come out of a dark room is to start pouring into another person. I came across a story about somebody who does this really, really uh, well. Uh, Shalane Flanagan won the uh, New York City Marathon in 2000. Uh, 17. I came across uh, an article about her in the New York Times, and I just want to read just a little bit of it to you. Here's what it says. When Shalane Flanagan won the New York City Marathon last week, her victory was about more than just an athletic achievement. Of course, it was a remarkable one. She's the first American woman to win in 40 years, and she did so in a blistering two hours and 26 minutes. But perhaps Flanagan's Bigger accomplishment lies in nurturing and promoting the rising talent around her. A rare quality in the cutthroat world of elite sports. Get this. Every single one of, the, of her training partners, 11 women in total, has made it to the Olympics while training with her. An extraordinary feat. 
Call it the Shalane effect. You serve as a rocket booster for the careers of other women who work alongside you while catapulting forward yourself. Shalane has pioneered a new brand of team mom to these young up-and-comers with the confidence, listen to this, not to tear others down to protect her place in the hierarchy. Isn't that a great example? I mean, she pours into in other people so much, they call it the Shalane effect. Wouldn't it be great to, to have your name, you know, used uh, that way? I'm going to use my friend Kevin's uh, name uh, for a, a moment uh, here. But imagine the Kevin effect. You know, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be cool that, uh, you know, we know Kevin is, is, is great, but even more important to know that if you can get close to Kevin, you're going to become great too. I mean, wouldn't it be great to have that kind of influence in, in your life, the Kevin effect, the Shalane uh, effect? We have, we have somebody else in our, in our church who's having uh, that kind of effect on others. Her, her name is Alice. Alice went through a dark room in her life, and she has taken what she learned in her dark room, and she has used it to start pouring into the lives of other people. Take a look at her story. Hi, my name is Alice Bresky, and I've been coming to River Glen since right around 2009, and um, I also volunteer um, at the Dementia Caregivers Support Group. My mom has always been my very best friend. If it wasn't for her, I don't know where I'd be with my faith. Probably the last five years of her life, she was in the nursing home, you know, praying with others and visiting others and helping others, and that's just my mom. So in 2017, my mom was diagnosed with dementia. When she got that diagnosis, it was very, very difficult because as we all know, dementia is very progressive. It just takes away everything that you knew about that person. I had frustration, I had some anger, I had um, such sadness and grief for what was going on with my mom. So one day, I decided to grab my journal and I sat down with this journal and I just talked to God and I prayed and there's a scripture about casting your care. So it says to cast your anxiety on me because I care for you. And so I cast my cares and I was very honest with God. I put down um, the fact that I'm going to lose my mom, my, the relationship I've had with my mom all these years. And now it's gonna be a new relationship that I'm gonna have and I need you, Lord, to help me through that. I need to know how to creatively communicate with her because she can't communicate with me the way she used to. I cast my cares and gave it to him. That weight was lifted from me. And that was huge in this whole journey with dementia. I know God has given everybody spiritual gifts and I believe he wants us to use those. And I think that's what he's given me the chance to do. Through this dementia journey, he's allowed me to turn around. And now who can you help? Who can you help through this experience? Who can you help that is suffering, that is struggling? Um, maybe they don't even know God. Maybe, they, maybe they're not used to prayer. Maybe they're not used to encouragement. But who's walking through this that needs the experience that we've had? So uh, this caregiver support group, has been amazing. Um, it is a time where we come together, we pray, we talk about our challenges, we talk about our struggles, we are very real with each other, we may laugh, we may cry, 
but we always then bring God into it. We read scripture, we talk about what does that mean to us, and it's beautiful when you shine light into that dark room. And that is God and the Holy Spirit, and that's who's going to help you through this. I appreciate Alice sharing her story. I love how she said when we serve others, it just brings a light into the uh, dark room. You know, what if we followed, you know, that example and Shalane's example and Elijah's example and started pouring into another person, investing and believing in another person? It would not only help another person, it would renew us with a sense of purpose and get our creative juices going and help us to get through our dark room. Reminds me of a guy uh, by the name of Bob, Bob Buford. Uh, Bob made a ton of money in the cable TV industry. But when he was in his 40s, his son died tragically in an accident. Bob stepped back and just reevaluated everything. And he wrote a book. Maybe some of you have heard of it. It's a very popular book. It's called uh, Halftime. Halftime, moving from success to significance. And he started a ministry called The Leadership Network. And here's what he started doing. He started carrying a three-by-five note card with about a dozen names of young leaders, many of them young pastors in his wallet, uh, leaders that he would pour into relationally, young men he would pour into relationally and financially. And he came up with this slogan, my fruit grows on other people's trees. Isn't that great? My fruit grows on other people's trees. Parents, maybe you do this for your kids, you know. Maybe instead of just keeping the machine going at home, you really pour into your kids and help them uh, follow Jesus and and become that picture that Jesus made them uh, to be. Maybe you volunteer here at River Glen and you, you pour into kids and students and help them follow Jesus and make a bigger impact with their life. Maybe you lead a group of adults like Alice. Maybe you take somebody you lead at at, at work, at church, and you say, you know what, I'm going to hand you more responsibility. You know, instead of me just doing it all my, myself, I'm going to start handing you the baton. Maybe you decide that somebody else needs the platform that you created for you, and uh, you, you decide to start growing your fruit on somebody else's tree, because none of us can do it all. And passing the baton, it not only helps other people And it's not only going to help you get through your dark room. You know what? It is mission critical for our church to make more and better followers of Jesus. I mean, we need to to pour into other people at home, in our neighborhood, at at school, and at at work. And so I want you to write some more names on your your funnel. You know, you got your name right here, and uh, you wrote some names up here, people that poured into you. Now I want you to write some names down here. Who are some people that God has put in your life, maybe at home, um, at school, at work, at, at church? Who are some people, write their names down here, people that you can pour into. And take this with you today. Take this funnel with you and pray that God makes it clear to you. Who is your Elisha. So Elijah goes to find Elisha. He wants to pour into him, wants to pass the baton uh, to him. But when he finds Elisha, Elisha is in a dark room. Take a look at what it says here. It says, so Elijah went from there, and he found Elisha, son of uh, Shaphat. Shaphat's the founder of uh, Snapchat, the uh, social media um, app. 
And uh, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th uh, pair. Just a normal day for Elisha, you know, out working in the field, uh, plowing, uh, walking behind a, a team of two oxen. And so, you know, this is his view every day. You know, can you imagine that? This is a, a dirty job is what this uh, is. Nobody posts that on Instagram and says, you know, living my best life now. Uh, I mean, think about the smell, you know. Think about the view. And it's every day, day in, day out. You know, you walk behind oxen. You're just looking at oxen rears, you know, all day, all day long. It's a monotonous job. It's a dead-end job. It's like a dark room. And maybe you can relate. You know, maybe you feel stuck in a dead-end uh, job. Maybe you're not looking at oxen rears, you know, all day long. But it's the same old thing, you know, day in, you know, day out. You hit your quota, and then you just start over again. And it feels monotonous like a dark room. And you want to know if there's anything more. I like what author and actress Priscilla Stryer says about this. Most of our days are filled with routine duties required for life to continue with any sort of sanity. But if we will take the time to look closely we might discover that God is using these normal activities to prepare us for future tasks, each duty pointing to his blessings in our lives. Here's something I've learned, that when I thank God for seemingly little things, ah, it helps me to notice the bigger things. And so can I encourage you, if you feel stuck in a cubicle, stuck at a job site, stuck in a commute, stuck at home. Wherever you find yourself, God is with you. And God has something more for you, just like Elisha. And so Elisha finds himself in the dark room, you know, doing his work in the field. But everything is about to change. Take a look at what happens next. It says, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Now, does that seem a little bit strange? Uh, to you. I mean, Elisha's out working in the field, doing his normal daily work. Out of nowhere, Elijah shows up, throws his coat, his cloak around Elisha, and Elisha says, I'm going after Elijah. I'm going with Elijah, and he runs after him. Why would Elisha do this? Well, probably because he's heard of Elijah. He's heard about the miracles that Elijah has performed, and he wants to follow Elijah. So there's nothing miraculous, nothing magical about his cloak. Think about it this way. Imagine if uh, NFL quarterback Tom Brady, who plays for the New England Patriots, decided to retire, which would be great, right? I mean, let's all pray for that to happen quickly. All right, he's such a good quarterback. But Tom Brady decides to retire. It's his last game. He's walking off the field. He takes his jersey, takes it off, and he hands it to the backup quarterback, and he says, it's your team now. That's what's going on here. This is like passing the baton. Elijah puts his cloak on Elisha. Now, let me pause for a moment because some of you might be thinking, well, who's going to give me their jersey? Who's going to pour into me? Who's going to pass me the baton? Who's going to invest and believe in me? Who's going to mentor me? Maybe you're, new, maybe you're new to church. Maybe you're new to getting involved. And that's one of the reasons why we talk so much about joining a group around here. We want everybody, we encourage everybody to join an alpha group, a life group, a rooted group, a celebrate recovery group. Because gathering in a group of three or five or 12 people or 15 people is a great place to find people who will believe in you and invest in you and pour into you and mentor uh, you. About two years ago, I joined a small group of uh, some pastors. We meet every, every month. And, uh, you know, I remember I almost said no uh, to this opportunity. I don't know what I was thinking. 
because, I mean, these guys have made such a difference in my life. They're like Elijah for me. I mean, they pour into me. They uh, mentor me. Uh, we open up our lives and we pray for each other and support each other. My point is that joining a group is a great way to find relationships like Elijah and Elisha. So Elijah throws his jacket around Elisha. And then look at what Elisha does before uh, he leaves with him. He says, it says, Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow, destroys his plow, to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. And then he, met with, then he went with Elijah as his assistant. assistant. This is quite a spectacle here. Elijah not only receives the baton, he goes home and he burns everything up, which is his way of basically saying, there's no plan B. You know, I'm not going to entrust the business to somebody else, and if following Elijah doesn't work out, come back home and, and work. No, I'm, I'm sacrificing the business. I'm destroying the business to follow God. I'm going all in. And that's what Elisha does. I mean, think about the excuses he could have made. I mean, he could have, Elisha could have said, yeah, but I'm not a very good person. Yeah, but I don't have any profit skills. Yeah, but, you know, I can't leave the past behind. Yeah, but God loves them, but he doesn't love me. Yeah, but I need to know more details before, before I commit. But instead, Elisha goes all in, and he receives the baton from Elijah. And God invites all of us, to take the baton like Elisha and serve others. And maybe the reason that some of us linger in the dark room is because God is waiting for you to finally say, I'm in. I'm all in. So that he can develop you into the picture that he made you to be. And so let me give you just a couple challenges that might encourage you to take the baton like Elisha and do whatever God leads you uh, to do. First challenge is this. You don't have to know everything to, to fully serve God uh, faithfully. You know, maybe God's nudging some of you to make a decision to, to follow Jesus because, you know, you've never made that commitment on your own. Maybe God's nudging you to take the step of, of baptism. We actually have a baptism opportunity coming up Easter weekend. What a great way to celebrate uh, Easter by getting baptized. Or maybe God is handing you the baton and he's nudging you to start leading a team of children or a team of students or a team of adults. But you think, oh, I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. But you don't have to know everything to serve God uh, faithfully. I don't know. Maybe some of you have been to a children's uh, soccer game. Those of us that have had, that have had kids, have kids, have uh, probably uh, attended a, a game. But let's say that you're at a children's soccer game. And uh, let's just say they're, they're seven-year-olds. Seven-year-old soccer game. You know what? It's not actually that great of a game to watch. Okay? They're like this mass of, 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 of kids, you know, running around the field. And the ball is somewhere in the middle of them. And they'll take one of the kids and make him the goalie. And so he stands in front of the goal all by himself. You ever seen this happen? The ball comes to the goalie. He catches the ball. And he kicks the ball. But he accidentally kicks it back over his head into the goal. Uh, behind him. And everybody's like, oh, no. And they feel so bad for him. And, and he's all down on himself. But he's trying. He's trying. And that's how you get better. And I would tell him, it's okay, buddy. You're just seven. It's okay. It, you know, it, it, it gets better. It'll get better. I mean, there's a reason why they don't allow seven-year-olds to fly airplanes or they don't allow seven-year-olds to drive cars or to make CEO decisions because you're just seven. 
And I want to tell some of you that are new or just beginning your journey that it's okay. You know, you're just as many. You're just starting. And the way that you learn and grow and get through the dark room is that you keep pressing in and discovering and trying new things. You keep taking the next step that God puts in front of you, even if you don't know everything. I like this quote that I uh, came across. Faith isn't about having everything figured out ahead of time. No, faith is about following the quiet voice of God without having everything figured out ahead of time. You're never going to have it all figured out, but you keep taking steps. You, you, you keep taking steps of faith. You keep taking risk. You keep taking the next step uh, that, that God puts in, in front of you. You keep taking the baton like Elijah and Elisha. You do the next right thing. Here's the next right thing for Elisha. It says, then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Notice, it doesn't say he took over. Uh, no, he became Elijah's servant. And you know how long this lasted? Ten years. Ten years as Elijah's servant. And then you fast forward ten years, and a king asked where a prophet might be. And take a look at what it says. King Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Look at that. He, he washed the hands of, of, of Elijah for, for 10 years. It wasn't glamorous. It wasn't, it wasn't fancy. But Elisha serves for 10 years, and he goes on, some people would say, to become an even greater prophet than Elijah. Here's the second challenge. You don't have to be famous to follow God faithfully. You don't have to wait for the perfect job. You don't have to wait for the perfect opportunity. You can get started by simply serving other people. Jesus said it this way, while the world obsesses with fame, Jesus said, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And you'll find that for many of us, the quickest path to experience the blessings of God and to come out of the dark room is by serving others like Elijah and Elisha. You don't have to be famous to do that. You don't have to know everything to do that. You just need to be faithful. I want you to think about it this way. Imagine that Jesus is here today and he hands you to the baton and he says, it's your turn now. What is that for you? What does Jesus have in mind for you? What is your next step when it comes to serving other people? Maybe for some of us, like Elijah, we already serve. We already volunteer. But God is calling you to be more intentional and start pouring in to other people, passing the baton to other people. Or maybe you're like Elisha, and God calls you to take the baton and start serving. How's God calling you to serve today? What's your next step? And so here's what I want to do. I want to ask you, if you would, to reach in front. In the chair back in front of you, there's a welcome card. Would you go ahead and pull that out? This is a very helpful tool. There are just so many next steps listed on here. I'd like you to just look at a few of these. Uh, for example, uh, maybe you need prayer. There's, there's space on here to write down a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Maybe, maybe you need us to pray that God will give you guidance to your next step. Whatever it is, write it down. We have a team of people that will, that will pray for you. And, you know, really prayer is one of the best ways that we can serve each other and help each other get through our dark rooms. Maybe God's nudging you to get baptized or to join a group. Check that box. Maybe you would like to 
Get involved, serving in the community. Check that box. We have some awesome opportunities coming up. We're getting ready to build a house in, in Waukesha through partnership with Habitat for Humanity. And you would have a wonderful experience uh, serving with uh, Habitat. They're just an amazing organization. Or uh, if you're interested in serving in our church, we have a volunteer coming up next weekend where we take you on a tour of the building and you get to see different serving opportunities. Uh, check that box. If you're interested in serving with children or students pouring in to uh, younger people, just write that on the card. We have lots of opportunities. I want to encourage you to fill this out, the welcome card. Drop it in the offering bag later on in the service. Jesus hands you the baton and he says, it's your turn. What is the next step that he has in mind for you when it comes to serving others? As we get ready to uh, share communion, I want to uh, invite those of you watching online. This would be a great time to maybe get some crackers and juice so that you can share in this experience uh, with us. And I want you to think about how Jesus poured into us. He took a risk on us. He invested in us, believed in us before we did anything good. I mean, that's why Jesus... Uh, you know, went to the cross and died, on our, died for our sins before we, before we could do anything good or, or even try to uh, earn it. And, and one of the reasons he pours love and forgiveness and his spirit into us is because he wants us to pour into other people. And so let's use communion time. Would you just, let's open ourselves up a little bit more to Jesus during communion and open ourselves to whatever next step he has uh, for you to serve others. Let me, let me pray for us. God, thank you for pouring into us each of our lives through Jesus. We didn't earn it or deserve it. Before we could do anything good, you loved us and believed in us enough to pour your love and forgiveness and your spirit into our lives. God, may we open ourselves more to you and however you want us to serve others. May we be faithful to take whatever next step you want us to take. I know that you have a next step for every person here, and God, I ask for you to make it clear, make it clear to us what it is, and give us the courage to say yes to serving you by serving others. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.